If you drive over the bridge and go into the old village of Mount Pleasant, and if you take one of those roads that lead out to the water like Hibben Street or Vinning Street or King Street, and if you look across the water, you'll see this little island, really it's not much more than a glorified sandbar that goes by the name of Crab Bank. Now, I'm pretty sure that Crab Bank has now become a bird sanctuary, but back in the day when we were perhaps a little less attuned to such things, Crab Bank was a favorite spot to anchor and spend the day. Every year on this weekend, Labor Day weekend, a local contractor would organize an informal regatta, the Crab Bank Regatta. And that regatta became for us the marker between summer and the start of the new school year. Even if school had already started the week prior, even if you'd begun to notice that the September sun was crossing just a little bit lower in the sky and the grass was just a little bit less green as a result, even with those portents of autumn, you still felt like you could hang on to summer until the very last sailboat crossed the line and we all pulled up our anchors at the end of the day on Labor Day to bid Crab Bank farewell. Whenever we come to one of these turning points between one season and another, it's a good time to pause and to take stock before we step into that next season. These are opportune moments to, to tune the ears of our hearts to listen for the Lord's prompting, to see if He might have some new assignment for us, or, or, or perhaps if we might need to make some sort of course correction before we step into the new season. And even if you yourself don't follow a school year calendar, all of us spend enough time in school that this moment still feels like the turning into something new. So today is an opportunity for us to pause, to, to gauge where we are spiritually before we proceed into this new year. Interestingly enough, something along these lines seems to be happening here in Matthew chapter 16, the passage that's assigned for this Sunday. In this passage, Jesus has taken his disciples out of the fray. It's almost like he has taken them on a little miniature retreat, a little time out so that they can take stock of where they are and thereby be prepared for what's about to come. Because you see, Jesus and his disciples are about to step into a new season of their life with Jesus. Not, not a new natural season like fall or winter or so on, but, but a new season in terms of the lives they've been living. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. See, Jesus is helping to prepare them that the season is about to change. But Peter put, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For your mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, friends, this is arguably the harshest rebuke ever to come out of Jesus' lips. And it's not a rebuke of one of his adversaries. This is a rebuke to one of his closest friends. Why? Because Peter's in trouble. 
and he doesn't even realize it. Jesus is like that parent who sees their little child who's about to run into a busy street who reaches out and grabs the child by the arm and yanks the child back to pull them away from the oncoming traffic. Peter, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, friends, if Peter, who is Jesus' right-hand man, one of his closest friends, could get off course even while he is with Jesus, is it such a stretch to imagine that you and I can get off course from time to time? That our minds might begin to drift from the things of God to the things of man? Well, after this rebuke, Jesus gathers the disciples around and he gives them a little primer on on how it is that they can set their minds on the things of God. And we're going to come back to that, but I want to jump ahead to the why. Why is it that Jesus makes this harsh rebuke of his beloved friend? We find the answer in verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Find your life. Save your life. This verse almost reads like some kind of Jedi riddle. But even before we untangle what it is that Jesus is saying, this much is clear. Peter is in risk of losing his very life. Now, not his physical life, but something far deeper, what we we might even call his very soul. It's a bit like this. The home where we live, the previous owners built this wonderful back porch. And the roof of this back porch, it has this high vaulted ceiling that reaches up to the second story of the house. That that high vaulted ceiling, it makes the porch feel large and grand. It's a wonderful effect, but it does have one downside. We like to leave the screen door open so that our pets can come and go during the day and find shade from the summer sun. But this means that curious little birds like the Carolina wren will also find their way on the porch in their hunt for insects. And once that bird has come onto the porch and once it's had its fill of insects and once it's ready to move on, he will instinctually fly upward into that high vaulted ceiling to try and find his way out. He wants to be free, but his instincts actually lead him into a trap. Peter's instincts, our instincts, are to set our minds on the things of man. But here, Jesus, in his loving mercy, is calling out to Peter and to us, that's not the way out. You think that by flying upward, you'll be free, but but you've got to do what's counterintuitive. You've got to lower yourself and follow me out through this door if you want to be free. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Nothing could be more counterintuitive. Twice a month during the service of morning prayer, we glory in this strange paradox whenever we pray the colic for peace. Let me remind you of how that 
prayer goes. O God, who art the author of peace and lover of concord, in knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life, whose service is perfect freedom. It's a paradox. It's counterintuitive. Our instinct tells us that freedom is found up in the rafters, but Jesus says, no, true freedom can only be found by coming down and serving me. Now, in Peter's context, setting his mind on the things of man, it was all wrapped up in his desire to march into Jerusalem and to drive out their Roman occupiers. And on one level, who can blame him? for wanting to be free from the cruelty of that occupying force. But that desire had become so all-consuming for Peter that it had taken his mind captive. So I've been asking myself, what in our day, what in our cultural context threatens to take our minds captive? Listen again to Jesus' explanation for why this is all so important. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When Jesus talks about life here, again, it is something far deeper than our physical lives. Jesus is talking about deep core questions like, who am I? Who am I meant to become? How can I be free to live the life I was meant to live? To live this life to the fullest? These are core questions. And you see, Peter, like everybody around him, had set his mind on the belief that if they could overthrow the Romans, then, then they would be free to be the people that they were meant to be. And Jesus is saying, no, Peter. You will only find your identity, your purpose, your life in me. What does our culture preach as the way to life, freedom, purpose, identity? Now, cultures are rich and complex, so I think there are probably several answers that our culture might offer. But I think that if an outside observer spent any amount of time watching our movies and television, listening to our music, analyzing the, the underlying message of our advertisers, surely that outside observer would be led to conclude that this is our answer's culture to those questions. If you want to know who you are, if you want to be free to be the person you are meant to be, if you want to live the life that you were meant to live, then you must get in touch with your romantic affections. You, based on those affections, must assume a label for yourself, I am this or I am that. Then you will have arrived. Then you will know who you are. Then you will be free to live the life that you were meant to live. Friends, that is the, the, the message of our culture. All the while, 
Jesus is calling up to us as we fly around in the rafters saying, no, no, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Friends, when I, when I look out at our world, I, I see a world full of persons starving for affirmation, starving to be accepted, starving to be set free from, from self-doubt and, and self-hatred. And in our pain, we can become again like those birds flying around in the rafters to the point of exhaustion, desperately trying to find the way out to live freely. But the only way you're going to understand who you are, the only way you're going to become the person that God made you to be, the only way you're going to be set free to live the life that you were meant to live is if you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus. Because, friends, when you begin to see yourself reflected in His eyes, when you begin to see His love for you, when you begin to see His calling that He wants to place upon your life, when you see how He accepts you, as that old hymn put it, just as you are, and then draws you forward to grow into the person you were meant to be, Friends, when you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus, then and only then, seeing yourself in the reflection of His eyes, then you will be free to live the life that you are meant to live. O God, who art the author of peace and lover of concord, in knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life, whose service is perfect freedom. That's the meaning of the Jedi riddle. That's the power of this strange paradox. When we surrender to Jesus and begin to follow him, that's the moment that we are set free to see ourselves for who we truly are. Sons and daughters of God. Beloved servants and followers of the King of Kings. But how does this actually work? I mean, how, how in the world are we supposed to do what Jesus says? What does he mean when he says, take up your, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? Well, I'll explain it this way. For reasons that are unimportant to this sermon, I recently found myself writing a thank you note to a college sports medicine team. They had gone out of their way to do something kind for someone who is very important to me. And so I wanted to thank them. Now, I'd only met these persons one time, but as I was writing that little note, I thought to myself, what the heck? What have I got to lose? I'm going to throw a little Jesus into this letter, this thank you note. <laughs> and, and I wrote something along the lines of, um, you know, as I write this letter, I am praying God's blessing on your ministry to the students you serve. Now, I have no idea how they took that. For all I know, they read that and thought, who's this religious fanatic? Who's this kook? But I make no apologies for what I wrote. They should see what they do as ministry. Just as you should see whatever it is you do Monday through Saturday as ministry. 
When Jesus says that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him, we often hear that word cross in the wrong way. See, see in, in common language, cross has become kind of a synonym for a burden you have to bear. You know, uh, so-and-so was assigned to be my lab partner, and he's just going to be the cross I have to bear this semester. But that's not what cross means for Jesus. The cross is Jesus' God-given mission. The cross is God's ministry of love to a needy world. The cross is the central purpose of Jesus' life. So when Jesus says, you must take up your cross, he's talking about the purpose that God has for you. He's talking about the assignment that God has for you. He's talking about the mission and ministry that God wants to do in you and through you. Now, yes, sometimes our cross, sometimes our assignment can be a heavy burden to bear. And whatever cross of mission God gives you, it will require you to pray for guidance, for strength, for renewal. No question about it. But be that as it may, at its heart, the cross you are called to take up is what God wants to accomplish in the world through you. Whether you're designing houses as an architect or instructing a music class as a teacher or learning in school as a student or changing the diaper of your infant child, Setting your mind on the things of God begins with taking your life, your whole life, your Monday through Saturday, and offering it as a living sacrifice to God. Undertaking every action, decision, encounter as your ministry as a servant to Jesus. So my sense is that as we stand here on this Labor Day, this seam between two seasons, my sense is that for some of us here today, setting our minds on the things of God means looking at Monday through Saturday in a new way, in a God-centered way. Friends, ask yourselves, is that how I've been living my life? For others, taking up your cross in this changing of seasons and this new season we are stepping into, it, it may well entail some new ministry that Holy Spirit is calling you to take up. Maybe Holy Spirit has been tugging on your heart, telling you that it's time to, to take on the role as a Sunday school teacher or to serve in one of our servant ministries, to make coffee for this crowd every Sunday morning, or help Mark back in the AV booth, or partner with one of our partner ministries. Friends, does Holy Spirit have a new assignment for you as we step into this new season? Some new way that He's calling you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow So for some here today, I, I believe we need to see Monday through Friday in a new God-centered way. We need a course correction. For others, I, I think we need to be attentive to Holy Spirit's tug on our heart. Some of us are being called to step into a new ministry. What about you, friends? 
All of us can feel it in the air, the changing of the seasons, this opportunity to pause and take stock. I pray that God will grant us the grace to turn our minds from the things of man to the things of God. That he'll grant us the grace to deny ourselves, take up whatever cross he has given, cross of mission, and follow him. For in so doing, we will find our true selves reflected in his eyes. And in the perfect freedom of his service, we will find a life that's worth living. What about you, friends? Don't let this moment of reflection pass you by. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you call us and that when we follow and begin to see ourselves in your eyes, reflected in your eyes, we are given a whole new sense of ourselves and the purpose that you have given to us. Lord Jesus, I pray your blessing on these, your servants, sons and daughters of God, that they would see their lives in a new way, a fresh way, that they will view whatever comes Monday through Saturday as a ministry offered in service to you. Grant us the grace to do just that, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after you. For we ask these things in your precious and powerful name. Amen.